0: We may have changed. That's that's just the melody. Of, that's just the melody. But uh, can we do it again? Let me see if I can find a different. Part for you. <laughs> I always sing the harmony, so i
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the course, I will keep it the
0: I think with the melody
1: goes. Thank you. So we get started here. It's just something you don't know, yeah. the words too. If I do right. the words that I just watch the notes and kind of yeah. look where I'm playing, but kind of, I'm doing this, I'm like, right. oh. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find a groove line because. Right. Okay. Ready? Okay. I'll just get right back. Okay. Yeah. okay. Thanks, Let me corral the troops. Oops. I don't know
2: if
1: I have a copy of that one. Which one? Yeah, the Oh, this is this one. Yeah. should be a folder in there. Is there no folder? Oh, they're over there. good morning good morning everybody young people let's find a seat everybody good morning kbc how's everybody doing vibrant life hi marky Is everybody, if everyone can find their way to their seat. we can get ready to get started this morning. It is time. Hey, Sister Gigi. Hello, everybody at home, on the sofas, laying in bed, whatever you're doing. God is with us all, no matter where we are. Let's get our hearts prepared for worship this morning. The Lord has finally chased the rain away, at least in this region.
0: I think you can start it out, and I'll come in,
1: yeah. We won't question God and what he does and what he's doing. We just have to live a life faithful to him. Amen. He is so good to us. So if you would rest on your feet with us as we get ready to worship God this morning. This first song is acknowledging that God is God alone. Psalms 46 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Say la.
3: the way it is you are god alone from before time began you were on your throne you are god alone and right now in the good times and bad you are on your throne you are god god whose power none can contend you're the only god whose name and
4: praise will never end
3: you're the only god who's worthy of everything we can give by our plan that's just the way it is you are god alone You are on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone, you are God alone, from before time begins, you are on your throne, you are God alone right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone, you're unchangeable, you're unchangeable, you're unstoppable, that's who you are, you're unchangeable, you're shagable, you're unstoppable, that's what you are, you are the God alone, from before time began, you are on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone, you are God alone, from before time began, you are on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone. You're unchangeable, you're unshakable, you're unstoppable, that's what you are, you're unchangeable, you're unshakable, you're unstoppable, that's what you are, what you are not alone.
1: to use a little bit of this, the song says, draw me close. You ever feel so far away sometimes, like God is not with you? Hmm.
5: Draw me close to you. Never let Lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. No one else. Your way. Help, Help me find, find a way.
3: Never let me go I lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You are my desire What else will do? nothing else could take your place To feel the warmth of your
2: embrace
3: Help me find a way Bring me back
0: You're alpha. We give you all the glory. praise and we give you all the glory Praised. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how would i go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of god with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude keeping festival why are you cast down O my soul and why are you in turmoil within me hope in god for i shall again praise him my salvation and my god presence, God, for the truth, Lord. I pray, Father, you would bless your word going forth today, that it would penetrate our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, in Jesus' name, you would break whatever needs to be broken in us, strengthen what is weak, God, encourage when we're discouraged, bring joy where there is doubt and worry and fear, Father. I pray that your perfect love would cast those things out, God that you would allow us to worship you through your word this morning as well. In Jesus' name, amen.
6: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Shay, how you doing, sweetie? Hi. What's up, buddy? Good to see you. I'm so thankful for spring. Hope you all had a blessed Easter. Everything went well. This morning we have a couple of announcements, so first I wanted to wish Um, Our dear brother in the Lord who is 35 again uh, Brother Dale Booker A happy birthday Happy to see you made it this morning 30th annual, annual, got you, got you (laughs) So as we usually do, we would like to sing our dear brother happy birthday this morning So on the count of three, one Two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear dear. Happy birthday to you. Love you, brother. Uh, Just as a quick reminder, uh, please continue to give. Remember, biblical giving is not a set percentage, but instead follows biblical principles we see outlined in the New Testament. Uh, Giving should be premeditated, not under compulsion. Giving should be sacrificial, cheerful and faithful. And so if you're able to give, please continue to give with those principles in mind. Uh, Last but not least, I will call up our brother and sister, Scott and Gina Dalton for an announcement.
7: from South Africa and so they have been called back to where they go back they have been working on it's called project equip Um, Scott and I met with them sat last not yesterday but the week before Saturday morning via zoom and they are asking for us to help them raise some funds to put together a program for some Syrian children that are living in Jordan. Um, Because of the war in Syria, there are now 240,000 school-aged Syrian children living in Jordan. The Jordanian government has worked hard to provide an education for these children, but currently more than 50,000 Syrian refugee children are classified out of school because of the limited resources in classroom space those who do attend school struggle because of the poor teacher student ratio and the teacher preparation this struggle shows in assessment results as only one out of five of all second and third graders reach their targeted reading level so there's a lot of um rote memorization and things like that for them but as a result um, nick and his wife and and a team of other folks are trying to put together these programs that help with like singing and dancing and learning through play and things like that for the younger kids. And Sorry, I'm nervous. I like to talk, but not to big crowds. So, um, they're putting together a math curriculum right now. um, And as part of this, they're asking for it's around five thousand dollars. That includes equipment rental, translators, teacher salary, um, printing for the for the um, for the materials to go out to the teachers, a train the trainer type deal, um, all that sort of thing. They do have someone that has already donated thousand dollars, so they're down to four thousand dollars. So, if you guys would like to donate, please designate that on on your on your, um, whatever, Todd and Scott and then Yeah, that's that's the word, sorry. Um, and if you can't donate monetarily, please, please, please be in prayer for them. They are gonna be going back to um, Johannesburg, South Africa to live. And they are, we heard last night, trying to build a church because there's a couple different, um, a couple different socio backgrounds where they're going and they wanna bring everybody together. so that's all i have to say about that i'm going to give scott
4: okay um i also wanted to give an update about uh bruno and sylvia malapu i know probably about half the people here know who they are Um, we've been working with them in the missions in central african republic since the year two thousand goes back into the new hope days so continuing to work over there Um, we are also working right now we have started loading a third container forty foot uh, container to go overseas this one contains uh, medical office equipment dental office equipment I mean like x-ray machines everything so um, we're trying to get that there by June Um, the lady who Rafine, who was here before years ago um, she actually is in charge of the customs in Cameroon which is the port of entry Um, she can help us by getting reduced rates but she's only going to be there through June so we're trying to urgently get the rest of the funds to ship that overseas. Um, we have two over there already with different things. We have a, a company um, where we're creating jobs in the community. It gives us a chance to witness to people, um, help them provide for their families, food, you know, food, clothing, that type of thing. We also have a lot of donated materials like that in, in this container as well. Um, that is actually, we're trying to target shipping that container in May which is very quick. Um, We're about $10,000 short total. That includes Bruno's travel over there to meet it in June. Um, So we're trying to raise that and get that on its way. Uh, What else? Um, I guess that's, that was pretty much it. I am going to try to see, um, for those of you who haven't met Bruno yet, um, pretty much everybody is like an instant friend with him, but uh, I'm going to try to see if we can get a Zoom session. Maybe he can attend one of the Wednesday night calls with us, give you a chance to get to talk with him perhaps. Um, If you have any questions about this ministry or uh, what Nick and Deanne, his wife, are doing in Jordan, um, feel free to reach out to either one of us. And uh, also, um, please remember Sue Melissa. She's teaching over in the Philippines. Things are going well over there. I think they're back to remote learning again, which I don't think is her preferred thing, but she's doing well, so
7: just one more thing i forgot to add i have a breakdown of of the cost here if anybody wants to see them it's it seems very cheap like teachers are only like 21 dollars a day um and so that that seems very 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 reasonable as far as what they're asking for and they've they've broken it down um by unit and things like that so i just if you're interested i have it um but that's all
6: Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the faithfulness of your people. Thank you for the devotion of those who you have called Lord, it is a, it can be a terrifying thing to be called by you to walk this walk, to have to endure the things that at times we have to endure. And yet, Father, we see in this passage, as in all other aspects of scripture, you have proven yourself faithful. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words today to speak on your faithfulness. I pray that you would clear my heart and clear my mind so that I might hear from your spirit and speak his words, not my own. Please forgive me for my own inability, for my own stumbling and stammering, for my own just inadequacy when preaching, Lord. But it is not because you use adequate men that you are glorious. It is because you are glorious in and of yourself. I pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of everyone that is here, everyone that may hear this message, whether now or later, that, Father, you would draw them to you, that you would help us to see your glory, and in doing so, we might give you praise and honor. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I titled this sermon, "All Be There. And as I was preparing the sermon, as I was... Uh, discussing and praying and thinking about what's going on in this passage. One of the areas that I know that we hate to be in is in that point of exhaustion, that mental physical, spiritual exhaustion when we have given everything that there is to give and it still seems like there's not enough and we have labored as much as we can labor and we have gone as far as we can go, whatever it may be, and still at this point we look up and we feel alone. It's been a challenging time, those points in my life when I've come to the end of myself. I know there's times when we've all come to the end of ourselves, right? When we've all just felt wasted, just done, just exhausted, just collapsing at the end of it. And and we look up and we don't feel like much has been accomplished. We find ourselves alone. We find ourselves isolated. What's interesting, though, is usually during these times when God speaks the loudest, I I almost laugh at times with how the Lord uh, shepherds me and loves me because I will rail against him. I'm the guy that has to go until there's no further to go, no farther to go. I have to go until the road ends. And even then I'm going to contemplate on can we build more road? Is there anything? Can we move this dead end sign? Does it have to be a dead end? And there's a whole other street over here around. But I have to keep going. I just have to keep pressing and I'm praying and pleading and screaming the entire way. God, where are you? Why, why, why won't you just make this way the right way? Why won't you fix this? Why won't you do this? And, and have you abandoned me? And he's just waiting. Just waiting for me to sit my behind down. He's like, keep, you know, keep going. No, no. Are you here? Just you know, keep going. Just keep going. Just keep running and running and running until you finally stop. He's like, okay, now are you ready to listen? I want you to take a left right here. But we see Paul is in a similar spot. But because God is who he is, he blesses him in some very tremendous ways. And And I love the fact that I get to talk about this this morning. So first we see that happens here with the Lord arranging a meeting between Paul and the husband and wife team of Aquila and Priscilla who would grow to be his companion? So at this point, Paul has left Athens where we left off last uh, Sunday. Paul has left Athens there. He was waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. However, they apparently weren't able to catch up with him there. So now he is relocated and now he is in Corinth. So Corinth, just as a quick history, Corinth is a major city in the Roman Empire. Corinth was like a Las Vegas or like a New York. It was, it, it was a hub where a lot of stuff went down. It was it was fun to be there, maybe even more like a Miami. It was, it was a place where it, it, it was fun. There There was a lot of things going on in a lot of ways. People considered it to be like the sports capital of the Roman Empire because you had the Isthmian Games that would happen there, which was second only to the Olympic Games, and a lot of stuff would happen in Corinth. On top of that, there was a lot of promiscuity in Corinth. There was a lot of uh, drunkenness in Corinth. There was a lot of debauchery in Corinth. There was a lot of stuff going on in Corinth. Corinth was a party town. It was notorious for how wild it was, for its extravagances, for its ex- excessive culture. So Paul is in this city, in this moment alone. He doesn't have Silas. doesn't have Timothy. Doesn't have Luke who is writing Acts here. No one is there with him. He is isolated. And we can tell that Paul was desirous for fellowship because based on the word, and it said that he found. And the idea behind the finding was that he was searching out. He was looking for something. And then he went to and eventually found a couple by the name of Aquila and his wife Priscilla. The idea is that Paul was searching out and it went to a familiar source of companionship, his Jewish heritage. And so we see Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team, they would grow to be some of Paul's closest companions in the faith. They were there with him during desperate times. They accompanied him. They stuck with him. Family, there are moments in our lives where the Lord has sent people in to walk alongside us, and we must thank God for them. We make much in this culture, especially I would say in church culture, by our ability to walk it alone. And yet, if we're being honest, do we really walk this alone? Think about the times when you have been down and out. Think about the times when you have hit a low point, whether it be depression or anxiety or fear or whatever it may be. And and how somehow, some way, somebody has contacted you and hit you up and, and prayed with you and encouraged you. And we must thank God for those people. There is a prevailing belief that somehow you can make it alone, that we can walk away from fellowship and be strong. One of the things that drives me crazy as a pastor is how many people try to live as believers outside of fellowship. And think somehow, well, I have my relationship with God. I, I don't really need the church. I don't really need the fellowship. I'm, I'm able to strengthen. It's, it's, it's him and me. That's, that's all I need. And the reality is God has provided grace for that, but even more so grace through his body and through having companionship with one another. We live in such an individualistic culture. We have missed our interconnectedness with one another. Our culture teaches us that we can survive without one another. It's it's based on that. Everybody has the the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's this idea that I can go and get mine, and and I don't care how it's going to impact anybody else. This, This idea somehow not woven together as a fabric is lost on us. I saw this during the pandemic. I saw people say, well, I don't feel like doing this. Therefore, I won't regardless of the impact it has on other people. And that was simply an outgrowth of everything else that we do. We don't we, we we don't care how we spend our money as long as it's how we want to spend our money. We don't care what we say and what we do and how we interact as long as it's how we want to interact. You have to accept me as me no matter what, no matter how that may impact you. So whatever we do or whatever we don't do, we do it with ourselves. There was a book that I was reading that's called... Uh, political illusions and illustrations that examines different views and how they are insufficient in and of themselves in light of scripture. He writes regarding one view, in particular with liberalism as a view, and he talks about liberalism, conservatism, nationalism. It's really intriguing on how all of these different isms are insufficient in and of themselves in light of scripture. So he speaks about liberalism in particular, he says... The first and most basic principle of liberalism runs as follows. Everyone possesses property in their own person and must therefore be free to govern themselves in accordance with their own choices, provided that these choices do not infringe on the equal rights of others to do the same. Sounds good. Right. Do what you do as long as what you do doesn't infringe on other people's rights but that's different than what scripture says and how we relate to one another, is it not? Just because I may not infringe on your rights does not mean that it doesn't impact you. See, that's what we miss. I remember how I used to spend money looking at all types of filth on the internet. And how that money now had been circulated to now there's a father, a good friend of mine, his own father was so addicted to that same filth on the Internet. They had used my dollars to fund that, that it entirely corrupted his family. But I thought I was alone in my room looking at it at my own time. Who am I really hurting at the end of the day? Or when I began to research and realize all the different sexual trafficking that would happen and, and all of these things. Were in, and now I'm participating in these things. See, I thought because my rights didn't infringe on anybody else's rights that I was okay. But the reality is, all of our choices, family, whatever we choose to do or choose not to do impacts other people. But that is fundamentally the flaw. Is it not what one person does or does not do will always impact one another? Imagine what this world would be if we withheld our love from one another. I guess we don't have to imagine, do we? Imagine the arguments, imagine the divisions that would be there if we said, you know what, I'm just going to be here alone, that I'm okay by myself, with myself. I don't need anybody else. Imagine what would happen. You'd probably get something like the culture we deal with. But let me be honest. There have been plenty of times, and my wife can testify to this, when I have given all that I have to give and it weren't, if it weren't for the strength of this body here, I would have lost it. Seeing some of you guys blows me away in the sense of how much it encourages my heart. And I would be remiss as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother in Christ, to not just sincerely from the bottom of my heart thank every single one of you. You have been my companions. You've been my encouragers. You have texted me. You have called me. You have done various things, even just your smile on a Sunday and seeing you here in attendance. When I felt alone in Corinth, when I look at it and see all of this foolishness, and then my brother or my sister come alongside me and say, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm blessed by you. Whatever it is to know that somebody is rolling with me in the midst of all of this, I couldn't have done it without you. We can't do it without each other. Guys, this past year, my mom died. I couldn't, have made through it. I couldn't have made it through that without you guys. Pastor Bob died. He was a, he was a security blanket for me. I couldn't have made, made it through that without you all. Never undervalue or underappreciate how much you impact one another through how much you encourage each other. It may be a well-timed text or an encouraging word. But the overwhelming blanket of isolation that attempts to suffocate you into depression, you you have to be free of that. I love what Ecclesiastes says in in chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. Be that for one another. Be there." for one another. Lift each other up. Encourage one another. Please do not go about your day only feeling like you're living in your day. There are other people that are encountering that very same day that need your encouragement. They need you to come alongside them in the same way here that Priscilla and Aquila did with Paul. Just by happenstance, apparently, While Aquila and Priscilla were exiled from Italy by Emperor Claudius, they came across Paul in a relationship that would change their lives forever. See, Emperor Claudius, there was a problem with the Jews. The Jews were always bickering and fighting. And in this case, they were bickering and fighting over somebody named Christus. There was schism going on. They were arguing over the Christ and, and what was going on. So Claudia said, I've had enough. You Jews have to get out of Rome. And so now Priscilla and Aquila now are, are exiled from Rome. What's interesting, though, is never underestimate the encouragement that you could have in someone's life. Where well, maybe your exile and your discomfort might drive you to be exactly what someone else needs to carry on. I thought about that i thought about the jobs that I've lost. I've thought about the places that I've left. I've thought about the discomfort that I've had to endure. But how it's driven me into the arms of other people to encourage them to say, listen, God carried me through this. He can carry you through that. I'll walk with you. See, what was my discomfort actually was a place for me to learn about the glory and the faithfulness of God so that I might encourage somebody else I reflected while writing the sermon on how much people have helped me during times of loneliness. Folks, I was homeless for a period of time, and people came and got me. They said, you know what, I don't, I don't, have, a, I don't have a whole separate house for you, but you can sleep on my couch for a little bit. And they were there, and they encouraged me, and somehow, some way, by the grace of God, I never doubted in my mind that somebody would be there to support Somebody would be there to encourage. Somebody would be there to say something, to celebrate with me, to pick me up. My goal in life is to be that for somebody else. Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila hit it off first by being Jews and then by sharing a common trade and being tent makers. It was common even for Jewish rabbis and scribes to know a trade because their teaching they did for free, and so now they have fellowship around their common employment. So here you have Paul in Corinth making tents beside Priscilla and Aquila, and they're growing in their relationship. So Paul here is originally alone, but now empowered by friends and the arrival of familiar ones and with a gift from the Macedonians. So now that Paul has been sent new companions, he once again faces familiar contenders. So Paul is not only accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, but also now by Timothy and Silas. It says that he occupied himself with reasoning with the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogue every Sabbath. He was consistently conversing with them about the truth that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. This was a constant passion for Paul because the person that they had been waiting for as a nation for generations that they had imagined and tried to form from scriptures was finally here, yet they were unwilling to listen. This is a great lesson for us, family. This is a great lesson for us. Be careful that we don't confuse the God of the scriptures with the God formed by this culture. Think about this. For literally generations... The Jews had been searching the scriptures, waiting for their promised Messiah. They had, they had gleaned as much as they could from the passages from the Old Testament over and over and over again throughout the years. And they had formed in their mind, based on the culture and the surroundings that were there, that this must be what the Messiah is like. Since we are oppressed Since we are occupied, the Messiah must be one that's going to free us from occupation and going to restore us back to greatness. And so they begin to form their view and their expectation of the Messiah based on their political exploits rather than what he was biblically. It's interesting. When I look across the United States, I see a very common phenomenon. We have a God that will bless us but never correct us. A God that will love us no matter what, but he won't rebuke us. We have a God that loves the United States more than any other country on the face of the planet. That's not the God of Scripture. He will rise up. He will cast down. He will build up. He will deconstruct. Whatever ideology, whatever belief system you try to add to him is insufficient. He's neither for us or against us, but the fact is he is for his own glory and he will fight for it. He desires for us to pursue holiness. He desires for us to pursue righteousness. And I fear that many believers have fallen victim to that. And while not losing salvation, have rendered themselves ineffective for the kingdom. Because, in fact, the Messiah that we serve is not the Messiah of the Scriptures. It's a Messiah that serves our own exploits, whatever that may be. I'm suffering, so, God, you must give me this, and I'm going to pray for this, so, God, you must help me to prosper here, not realizing that the entire time that God has actually called us to suffering. But suffering in American culture don't go hand in hand. When the Lord of scriptures is preached, we might find ourselves no longer contending against sin, but being duped into contending against God. This is the great deception family that has gripped this nation, different people within it. Whatever view you may have, the magnificent sleight of hand that has replaced truth for tribalism. That I will camp out and because 10 other people say the exact same thing that I'm saying, therefore I must be right. Right. And we have to be right because they're wrong, whoever they are. And then we beef and we squabble with one another, no matter if we believe in the same gospel or not, because God is on my side and he's against you. So we supplant truth with our tribe, with our group, with our belief system, whatever it may be. That's exactly the same thing the Jews did here, folks. You think they weren't reading the text? They recited it every single Sabbath. They they taught their children to memorize it. Many Jewish boys had memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. By the time they were the age of 12, you think they didn't know the text? These aren't biblically ignorant people, and yet somehow they still missed the Messiah. How? Because they tried to manipulate and contort him and distort him into fit whatever their own desires were. So Paul, when he preached the Messiah, they would say, no, 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 no. That may be a Messiah, but that's not ours. They missed him. Yet Paul is here again, reasoning with his fellow countrymen. And once again, he is rejected, not just rejected, but apparently reviled and blasphemed. The term revile is literally to array yourself in formation like, like 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 an army. They organize to oppose him. This familiar. This is familiar territory for Paul, is it not? Every time we get caught up with Paul, what is Paul doing? He's going and he's preaching the gospel somewhere. And then the Jews start beefing, and they say, let's organize and crush this guy. Here they're doing the exact same thing. So Paul shakes out his garments, a modern-day equivalent of cutting someone off, and states that from now on he'll go to the Gentiles. This was customary for Jews who would shake off the dust of their sandals when they exited Gentile territory. They didn't want to bring any of the unclean with them into their native holy land. Here, Paul uses the display against them, in effect, symbolizing that he is free from being responsible for their spiritual well-being. There is a responsibility that we must take for other individuals, and then there is a responsibility that they must take for themselves. There's a responsibility that we have for other individuals, but there's also a responsibility that they must take for themselves. I remember there was a conflict I watched years ago where a lady really wanted to divorce her husband. She offered every reason that she could find, but mainly that she wasn't happy. I'm not happy. I'm like, but you you got a godly husband, but I'm not happy. I don't like him. And after being shown text after text after text that there were no grounds for divorce, she appealed to her counselor's words. Her counselor told her that she's suffering trauma by being withheld her happiness. Eventually, the pastor had to let her go her own way, and it destroyed her family to this day. There's a point in time when we are called to bring truth to other people. There's also a point in time where, listen, if that's the life you want to lead, then that's between you and the Lord. I shake the garments off. I shake the dust off. That's between you and him. We have personal responsibility. I want to be careful to say that in our culture, we cut people off too quickly. We are quick to cut some people off. It is almost like a, a token of superiority, of, of accomplishment. It's like a badge of honor that, 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 that we wear. That I, oh, I cut them off. Well, they friends with so-and-so. I cut them off, too. Oh, they're like three degrees removed from this person, but they like them, and then they like them, and then they I'm cutting them all off. Like, we enjoy cutting people off. But the opposite can be true as well. There are some people that you have to let go of. There are some people, folks, that you may be holding on to right now that you don't need to hold on to anymore. There's some people that you may be clinging to, waiting to turn around and trust in the gospel that that you may be pursuing, but instead they're turning, they're reviling themselves against you. They're arraying themselves to punish you. They're they're turning to, to gore you, to take advantage of you. You need to let those people go. There is a balance here. You might be in a relationship like that now where no matter how much you reason and plead and talk to them from the scriptures, they won't listen. Now, please, let me be clear. You're not cutting them off because you don't like them. You're not cutting them off because they're difficult. You're not cutting them off because, man, they they just, man, they just get on my nerves. If that was the case, Mark and I will never be friends. <laughs> Sorry, man, it was right there. I had to take advantage of it. Blame the Lord, blame the Lord. But if you go and you encourage them day after day after day with the scriptures and they're consistently rejecting the scriptures, rejecting the scriptures to the point that they begin to blaspheme and revile you. Then it may come a point in time when you do have to wash your hands of them. Now, this is not a display of Paul participating in cancel culture, just to be clear. Where he was personally offended and therefore he washed his hands of them. that's not what this is. We know that's not the case because if you turn to the very next chapter, in chapter 19, verse 8, Paul is back in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews. See, we don't do that, do we? We cut people off and we cut the whole group off. Like every, oh, oh, you voted this way? I'm cutting the whole group off. Oh, you believe this? Oh, I'm cutting the whole. You eat that? I'm cutting the whole group off. You walk like, you saw this movie, you listen to that kind of music? I cut the whole group off. Like, wait a minute. That's not what Paul is doing here. He's going, he's reasoning with them, he's pleading with them, he's being patient with them. Yet when they array in battle against you, it might be time for you to wash your hands of being responsible for them. What's funny here, though, is Paul may have stormed out of the synagogue at this point, and as scripture says, he went right next door. Imagine how frustrating that would be. You're sitting there debating as a Jew. You're going off on Paul, man, you're a heretic, you're preaching against, you know, the scriptures, this is not what our fathers have handed down to us, and you're, you're going in, and he's getting frustrated, he's like, I'm done with y'all, and you're like, cool, then leave. And then you walk out, he's on the doorstep of the house next door. Like, hey, that's why I'm living now. Like, for real, like, so now, every Sabbath that you go to the synagogue, he's standing there. Look, y'all know how some of y'all are? Anybody ever had this where you pull up to the stoplight? And the one person asked for money, you don't try to make eye contact. <laughs> Tell you. They over there staring all in your window. Hey, hey, brother, 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 you got to just... mm-mm, mm-mm. I can imagine this how the Jews were leaving the synagogue. Like, man, this guy is still here. And so he's there, still preaching the gospel right on their doorstep. And just as before. Notable people are coming to faith, chiefly Crispus, who is the leader of the synagogue and his family, along with many others. It's amazing to me. Probably the chief person that was confronting Paul now is trusting in the gospel. Imagine how frustrating that is as a Jew. You can't win. We've seen this story before, though, right? People are coming to faith. People are trusting in the gospel. What do you think happens next to Paul? Persecution, right? Adversity. People trying to take advantage of him and abuse him. Yet in the midst of adversity, there is always one that is a comforter. At this point, the Jews would have been in a fever pitch about the success of the gospel. Please, family, be aware as you go about this journey that you will face emotional, spiritual, and sometimes physical attack for what is true. You will deal with it. You will doubt yourself. You will question your path and fear what lies ahead. You are not alone, though. If the people around you aren't comforting enough, then take joy in these next words that were spoke to Paul. The Lord spoke directly to Paul in some of the most comforting words. And I found in all of scripture in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 10. God said to him, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are called my people. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What would you do if you were in this situation? Every time you've seen this play out before in the past, you've suffered. I love the fact of, of learning about psychology and learning about counseling because there are real impacts of trauma. It is, it's interesting, you know, even Sister Gina came up and was like, listen, I ain't leaving. Why? Because we've had people come up here and that hurt when they said, ah, oh, they're leaving. We've suffered things. We've gone through things. We've endured things. I was joking with Paul in the back. Every time I say I go on sabbatical, I at least have three people to say, hey, hey, hey you coming back, right? Like, yes, I'm coming back. It's cool. I'm just taking a break. It's all good. Like, I just want to make sure. Just want to make sure. Then they check about two weeks in. Like, so we still good? Like, yes, I'm still I'm just, I'm asleep. Can I sleep? It's okay. But Paul, no doubt, dealt with that same thing. I mean, the last few cities he's been in. He's preached the gospel. People have come to faith. Even notable Jews have come to faith. Uh, uh, notable women have come to faith. I love the fact that that Luke spans all of the demographic and said all of these different types of people are coming to faith. And the gospel is for everybody. And then in, inevitably what happens is that Paul ends up getting beat with rocks or thrown in jail or hit with sticks. I mean, you could imagine what Paul's mindset is here. Like Christmas, you came to faith. Oh, man, I know them Jews tripping now. I know they are mad now. I already know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's going to be a riot. There's going to be a mob. I'm going to get hit again. I don't know if I really feel like dealing with this, God. This trauma is triggering me. Listen, family, there is rest for you. Not from labor, but from fear. Without question, Paul had grown weary by this point and possibly contemplated abandoning the city prematurely. One of the greatest adversaries of believers is fear, is fear, fear. It's not always just the idea of you have to pursue righteousness. Sometimes you know the right thing to do, but you're afraid to do it. You know the right thing to say, but you're afraid to say, well, 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 what if I stumble over my words? What if I don't say it perfectly? Have you heard me preach? There's not a sermon that I have preached where I haven't stuttered my way through it. And yet God uses it consistently. He uses you. I have no doubt that the Lord is calling us to not be afraid anymore. Instead, we are to go on speaking and don't be silent. Not only was his fear soothed, but a command was given. The reason to not fear was not because he needed to alter his behavior. I had a talk with the dear brother the other day. And we talked about how much we edit ourselves. Do you find yourself ever doing that? How you shave a little part off of you if you're around a particular group because you don't know if you're going to be accepted by that group? See, I have had to do that many times over the course of my life, especially as it pertains to training at work. I can't speak how I normally speak. I have to speak correctly. I have to code switch for those that may not know what that is. So I put on my phone voice. Thank you for calling Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City. My name is Wendell. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with? I have to do that. Why? Because I have to be accepted. Because if I say tripping in a language, even though you know what I meant by it, you're like, ah, that's improper grammar. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's okay for there to be a time and a place for everything, but when I have to begin to adjust myself consistently to conform to other groups... Instead of being being uh, uh, speaking forth and not being silent, and if I have to keep silent and not speak the truth, if I have to consistently do that, then have I altered truly who I am? It's not saying that every thought needs to be spoken. It's not saying you need to be rude. There is tact. There is wisdom. However, if you're changing consistently who you are in order just to be accepting that God has called you to speak truth. God has called you to speak righteousness. God has called you to speak the gospel. and Instead, you withhold from doing so so that you can have more friends. Then family, those ain't your friends. They don't really know you. I remember years ago, years ago. I was battling with an addiction and I was praying. I remember one pastor preaching. He says, if you don't confess those sins to somebody, then when they say they love you, you're disbelieving their love. You're minimizing their love because now you're thinking in your mind, you only love what you know about me. But if I really told you what I really was about, what I really struggled with, what my real fears were, you probably wouldn't love me so I'm just gonna keep that to myself. It's fear that drove us. It's fear many times that drive us now. You all know what it feels like because there's some conversations we won't even have in this church with one another because we're afraid of the response. Fear can be a very damaging thing but God has called us to speak truth. Don't be silent. Truth is silent in this world. There are a lot of voices, even loud ones, yet we need to speak. It drives me mad that some of the people that are driving whatever conversation, cultural conversation we may have, simply aren't the majority. They're just the loudest. They're just the loudest because if you actually had a day-in, day-out conversation with most average people, you would figure out that, you know, we may disagree on some stuff, but we can actually get along. It's an amazing thing. If I actually took you to coffee and said, hey, you posted this, what did you mean? Versus commenting 15 times in your comment section on Facebook. And actually having a conversation and a dialogue. Speak the truth, don't be silent. Why? Because God said to Paul, for I am with you. Why can Paul be sure of this? Because the Lord was with him. This is one of the most beautiful statements I have ever heard as a believer. If that doesn't grant you joy, if that doesn't grant you hope, if that doesn't grant you the the courage to press on, listen, I don't care what's going on in this life. If God is with me, I'm good. I'm straight. Like, I remember I, when, when, I, when, I, when I used to have my own business, I would be driving at like 4 o'clock in the morning, picking people up, crying in the van, because I was trying to trailblaze for my family, but I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. And I'm just listening to the Bible, and I shut off the Bible. I was like, God, are you with me? He's like, I'm with you. I was like, well, shoot, then let's keep driving then. You with me, let's keep going. Like, whatever it may be, God, if you're with me, I can face anything. Some of us have replaced God with some other form of comfort. As long as I have this person there, I can go on. As long as I have a job there, I can go forward. As long as I have this situation, as long as it's favorable for me, I can go on. But that's not what God encouraged Paul with. He didn't say, Paul, don't trip. I'm going to give you a bunch of money. Paul, don't worry about this. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to overthrow, you know, the the empire of Rome and everything's going to be fine for you. Instead, he encouraged Paul by saying, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. When I have been alone, abandoned and fear for what may come next, the Lord has spoken and said, I am with you. Listen, I don't care about anything else. If the Lord is with us, then who can be against us? But do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Does that grant you hope and joy in whatever situation that you're dealing with, whatever loneliness that you're dealing with, whatever depression that you're dealing with, anxiety, fear, whatever it may be? Do you really believe that if you have God, that you have enough? And if you do, then know that God is with you. If you have trusted in the gospel, God is with you. He will neither, neither leave you nor forsake you. He is standing beside you. He is encouraging you. He is uplifting you. Every now and then he might send an encouraging person on your way, but nonetheless, God is there with you right now. Carry on. Don't be silent. People need to hear the truth. Go preach the gospel that Jesus died for people like us. Fools, fornicators, liars, thieves, self-righteous goody-two-shoes, idol worshipers, all of us. He's died for people like us. Let's not be afraid to go and tell people, hey, he died for somebody like me. Last Sunday we had a girl here. She went to high school with me. And she kept looking at me. She's like, I, so you're the pastor. And I just had to laugh. I'm like, yes. She's like, okay. So like you're like the pastor. Like you're the guy. Like you're not just a guy. Like. No, like this is like this is like one, this is my church. Like I'm one of the pastors here, but yeah, I'm the, I'm the lead pastor. She's like, Man, I just gotta get used to this. <laughs> and we were talking, I was like, I was like, sis, it's crazy because you're not the first person that said that. I was like, what was bad is I did so much bad stuff, I forgot half the bad stuff I did. And she was like, I didn't forget. <laughs> I was like, dang, like, okay, uh. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what I did. I'm sure I did something. But But listen, Jesus died for a fool like me. Somebody that nobody would ever expect to be pastoring anybody. And here you are. Do you think anybody expected for you to be here at this stage and point in your life? After all the mistakes that you've made, after all the foolishness that you've gotten into, after all the lies that we have believed? Has anybody thought that we would be here at this time worshiping this God? Has it not been for his grace and for his mercy? Should that not motivate us to go and preach that same hope to others? To go and encourage them, to go and uplift them, not in self-righteousness, but to say, no, 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 no. I'm a fool too. And God saves fools every day. He's been there for us every day. You don't have, I don't have either. And I still have joy. I still have hope because God is with me, just as he said here to Paul. No one will attack you to harm, for I have many in this city who are my people. He was promised relief from physical harm and success with his time in Corinth. The most rewarding thing we should be able to hear in this life is to preach because God has many people in this city who are his people. Think about that for a moment when you think of Kansas City. Think about that when you think of your neighborhood. What if God is telling you right now at this, on on this Sunday at what, 1155, if he's telling you right now, don't be afraid, don't be silent, go continue to speak because there's a lot of people on your block that are my people. I need you to go speak to them. I need you to go share the gospel with them. However you need to do it. Wear your mask, make, make some cake, whatever it is. Go and knock on the door, whatever it is. Say, listen, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, but I want to talk to you about Jehovah. I want to talk to you about Jesus. I know this maybe seem a little weird, but I actually live like two houses down. What do you think of Christ? Maybe I could catch you watering your lawn or mowing your lawn or, or whatever it may be, going to your car, whatever it may be, but I want to I not be silent anymore. I want to preach the gospel. There are many people in Kansas City who are God's people. What are we doing to reach them? I can tell you now that there are going to be some changes that we'll be doing here at Cornelia. There will be some changes that we're going to be doing at Cornelia, And I am praying now that God is preparing your hearts to go and reach Kansas City in the most loving way possible. Guys, we love each other really, really well. I want to see us get out there. I want to see us walk up and down this block. I want to see us in Swope Park. I want to see us in these neighborhoods. I want to see us in these apartment complexes. I want to hear your testimonies of giving the gospel. I love you all. I'm tired of seeing us just here. We got to be there. And I'm hoping and praying that the Lord motivates our hearts to do that. And that if that isn't your motivation, that you feel extremely awkward here. Because the gospel that we read told Paul not to be silent, to go preach the gospel, even though he was afraid, God granted him courage, and he went and preached, and God preserved him. God kept him. We will be a body focused on speaking rather than being silent, being courageous when fear grips us because the Lord is with us. Take heart, family. Encourage one another. And know that God is always with us. He's carrying us and encouraging us. I'm I'm so thankful that we have brothers and sisters overseas that are doing that right now. I pray that we follow the lead. Preach the gospel to people, listen to people, talk to people, interact with each other. And from that, bring them the hope and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the praise team comes up, let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for how you have used other people to encourage us to be there for us during times of trouble. I thank you for the brothers and the sisters that have been a tremendous encouragement in my life. Lord, I fear if I start rambling off names that I'll, I'll miss one, but, but, Father, you have used them in my life. And I know they've been used in others. I thank you for the sisters that surround each other, that pray with each other consistently. I thank you for the joy that we give one another, for the, for the uh, encouragement and admonition that we, that we give each other. I pray that you would keep us, but not just here. I pray that fear would not grip us, but instead we would be motivated and encouraged to go preach the gospel, that we would not be silent, that we would not be mute, but instead we would go forth and speak the truth of your word in whatever situation that may be, that, God, you may glorify yourself in us, that we might have an impact on this nation, the world, whatever it may be, our neighborhood, our relationships, however big or however small that circle may be, I pray that we would preach the gospel there. While I'm incredibly grateful that I get to live in this nation, but ultimately, Father, our citizenship rests in you, in the kingdom of heaven. And I pray that we'd be ambassadors for that kingdom. Please forgive us for the times that we have fallen short. But grant us your joy, your everlasting joy, your deep-rooted, overflowing joy that spills out all over the place on everyone around us. In doing that, Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us pray father thank you for this